Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, and it's the Centered from Reality podcast. It is Friday, and you're not going to believe this, but the sun is actually out. I'm sitting here looking out the window, and I see blue. It's a big change from seeing gray, white, black, whatever else you may see during a storm, so quite happy about that. That being said, California, parts of Nevada are just getting pounded by weather right now. We got a bunch of dry, cold snow up in the Tahoe area, followed now by a warm current that has just led to rain, potential for flooding, and a lot of California is seeing it. It almost feels to me at this point like Mother Nature is just playing a really mean joke on all of us for basically complaining about not having enough water for the last decade, because right now Mother Nature is like, hold my beer, I am coming in hot, and I'm going to flood you guys for good here. So today I want to talk about Mainly, I want to talk about the authorization for the use of military force that Republicans are talking about with Mexican cartels. Seems like we haven't learned anything from the war on drugs in Colombia and other Latin American countries, and they want to do it again. Mexico is pissed. Biden is under pressure. This has all kind of been sparked after those Americans were kidnapped, two were murdered last week. So that has really inflamed the situation. I want to talk about James Comer's thoughts about bombing Mexico. And this is all coming from people that are isolationists with Ukraine, but now all of a sudden want to kind of pull an Iraq in Mexico. So we're going to talk about that. I also, though, want to start by mentioning the insane weather and talking about how the Silicon Valley Bank has collapsed after failing to raise enough capital. So first off, just one little update on insane extreme weather in California. CNN reports in quotes here, in California, some 25 million people are under flood alerts, which are issued by the National Weather Service. More than 25,000 are still without power. Also, at least two people have died as the result of ongoing storms that are inundating California, and nearly 10,000 residents are under evacuation orders. Meanwhile, the article continues here, the state of emergency declaration requested by Governor Newsom has been approved by Biden, clearing the way for financial help in responding to the storm's onslaught and recovery. And that's according to Nancy Ward, director of the state's Office of Emergency Services. And it's been a pretty wild winter. It's been a pretty wild winter throughout California. And hopefully everyone stays safe. I'm glad to hear the emergency declaration has been approved by Biden. It's always nice when you see governors and presidents working together. So Anyways, we'll have to just keep watching that, but I'm going to talk about this next story probably more next week, but Silicon Valley Bank has collapsed. It's pretty pretty recent, so I don't want to get too into the weeds right now because some people say this is the beginning of a, another economic downturn. Others say this is one of those idiosyncratic situations, which means it's kind of a sole issue. It's a unique case. It's not indicated, indicating any larger trends. We'll have to see, but... As of now, what we do know is that Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, has collapsed after basically failing to raise capital, and it's been a pretty stunning 48 hours in which a bank run, a capital crisis, have actually led to what I've read is the second largest failure of a financial institution in U.S. history, so kind of a big deal, kind of a big deal, and obviously on this podcast, other podcasts, the news... Everyone's been kind of speculating for years now since COVID about what's next. Is there a coming recession? Are we good? And it's been a, it's been a kind of weird economy. You know, unemployment's low, but inflation's high. People are not thrilled with their situation. How's the housing bubble's been strange? Like, it's a really weird economy right now. But 
in this case, I think this bank is probably a side effect of a lot of different factors, but mainly inflation. But getting into the background here for a minute, the FDIC is, act, is acting, and this happens constantly when you have a failure like this, the FDIC is acting as a receiver, which means it's going to liquidate the bank's assets to pay back its customers, usually not a situation you want to be in. And that includes customers such as creditors, depositors, uninsured uh, depositors as well. And to put this into perspective, according to the FDIC, in quotes here, while relatively unknown outside of Silicon Valley, SVB was among the top 20 American commercial banks with $209 billion in total assets at the end of last year. Also, it's the largest lender to fail since Washington Mutual collapsed in 2008. Now, again, I, I touched on this earlier. I've heard some experts from Wells Fargo say that this may just be an idiosyncratic situation, meaning it's not a sign that there's more to come. It's unique to this bank. And, it's, and, be, and if that's true, this would mean that it's not going to be like 2008, where we just saw a complete like ripple go through the economy. And that being said, a lot of other people have been quite worried about this today, thinking it is an indicator of what's to come. And earlier today, this, the stock market took quite a dive as well. I think it's recovered now since, at least last time I checked. But while it does seem like banks are better prepared, I mean, it's been 15 years since the last crisis. We don't know yet. We don't know what's to come. So that's why I'm not going to really speculate too much further on this until we have a little time to see. And what I do know, though, is that interest rates are definitely part of the, pro, uh, the problem with this SVB situation. Because when interest rates were zero or near zero, banks were just able to load up on these low risk or seemingly low risk treasuries. But as we know, the Fed raised interest rates to fight inflation, and this caused the whole value of those assets to fall. And SVB is one of these banks that has a lot of unrealized losses. And I think, I think this gets me to think about um, why institutions like this kind of act so erratical when times are good and they're not held more accountable when times are bad. And it also makes me think about what this spike in interest rates may be doing to our financial institutions and our broader economy. I know a lot of people don't agree with the raise in interest rates because even though that's what they did when they volkered the economy in the Jimmy Carter era, we have a completely different economy and things have changed. And some people wonder if that is actually even worth trying to do. I know the Federal Reserve seems pretty intent on it, but maybe we're starting to see some ripples or some fractures in this policy choice, in this monetary policy that we've seen on the federal level. So anyways, we'll have to keep watching that. But for the rest of this, what I want to talk about is the AUMF, the Authorization for the Use of Military Force Against Mexican Cartels, James Comer wanting to bomb Mexico, kidnapping, sparking pressure on Biden, and also just how it seems like a new war on drugs is coming to a city near you. And part of me says fentanyl is worth responding to because it's so much more deadly than other drugs. But then at the same time, Fentanyl is just the most recent drug, and we've, we should have learned by now that these things don't work. So that's what we're going to talk about here. So to begin, I thought it was finally time to go over this story up there, but I figured it was time to finally go over this story about the four Americans that were kidnapped in Mexico, because while this actually wasn't like a huge change in anything, it was kind of this catalyst where Republicans are now putting way more pressure on the Biden administration. And... 
First off, according to the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City, in quotes, shortly after crossing into Mexico, unidentified gunmen fired upon the passengers in the vehicle, these are the four Americans, and then put the four Americans in another car and fled. The four Americans kidnapped, just to put some background to it, were Eric James Williams, Zindel Brown, and cousins Latavia McGee and Shahid Woodward. And ABC News notes here in quotes, they drove Friday morning into the Matamoros uh, region, or sorry, the, the city of Matamoros, in, which is in the northeastern state of Tomolipas, just north of Brownsville, Texas. So right south of the border. So later we'll understand, I think, why a lot of the Republicans, like Dan Crenshaw, are really attacking this. But anyways, moving forward, two of the Americans survived. The other two were found dead. Another article notes here in quotes, Williams and McGee survived the kidnapping. They were found Tuesday morning in a wooden house in Lagunona area outside Matamoros, Mexico. And one of the deceased was also found inside the house, and the second was found outside the house. And from the reports I've read, the Americans were transported constantly, basically to keep moving so they could confuse rescue efforts, keep on the move, make sure that they wouldn't be found. Obviously, they eventually were because the American and Mexican authorities were coordinating. At this time, it looks like the first person arrested was a 24-year-old. He was just the one watching over the house, making sure they didn't go anywhere. And then since then, at least as of this morning, five more people have been arrested, and the FBI has been working closely with the Mexican government. Now, AMLO, Lopez Obrador, the president of Mexico, I think is an awful politician, a left-wing version of Trump, and I think he's part of the reason why we're seeing this uptick in cartel violence. He blames the U.S. for fentanyl, even though fentanyl, sorry, even though Mexico is like the biggest producer of it in the world right now. So AMLO is not a good actor, but I am glad to see that the FBI was able to coordinate with Mexican officials because AMLO has actually been kind of a bulwark against cooperation in a sense. Like he's kind of been an issue. And National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby said, in quotes, attacks on U.S. citizens are unacceptable, no matter where, under what circumstances they occur. We're going to work closely with the Mexican government to assure that justice is done in this case. Now, I'll try to remind you guys that back in January, Antony Blinken, Biden, met with AMLO in Mexico City. It was a disaster. AMLO, busy lecturing Biden on history, doesn't want U.S. help quite a rude, hostile conversation, telling Biden they don't need our aid. Look, AMLO's just a, kind of an isolationist and a nationalist, an anti-capitalist. Like, he, he's an issue, especially after the other Mexican presidents of the past have been willing to cooperate and actually foster good ties. But AMLO also has got rid of the Electoral Commission, so he's becoming more of an autocrat. Dangerous guy, in my opinion. But... It is good to see after these kind of hostile issues between like Trump and AMLO and then Biden and AMLO, it's good to see that at least there is coordination. And they found two of these people alive and they are investigating it. Obviously, I think the elephant in the room, too, is that this is probably not a good look for Mexico, which does rely on tourism, right? And I've seen a lot of takes of people say like, as bad as this is, these are four people like thousands this happens to thousands of people, and there's no news stories about it. And I think that's probably true. But this one, of course, it's Americans, and you know the headlines pick it up. Politicians are now using it as a, as a cudgel, and here we are. So anyways, moving on. 
I did think it's important also to note that the attorney general of the state of Tamaulipas did say that he doesn't think this was a targeted attack. It wasn't like this cartel was driving around and just found this four and was looking for them. The attorney general of Tamaulipas says this was likely to be a misunderstanding. Mexican officials have speculated that the kidnappers thought these were four rival traffickers, something in that realm. And then I guess they kind of doubled down and tried to cover it up and led to the death. And the reason I bring this up, though, is I'm sure all of you by now are aware that the GOP has, come, has become really hawkish about the border and our relationships with Mexico. There are even politicians like James Comer who are actually, and this one's crazy, they're actually mad that Donald Trump did not bomb the border when he was president. Now, side note, I find this pretty ironic because the GOP just has no identity. That's what this tells me. Like, you have people like Comer who, you know, claims to be a non-interventionalist. They, they are okay with Russian aggression. They claim to be America first. But then in the same breath, all of a sudden, what they basically want to do is bomb Mexico, like do something to a, a foreign country. And, and that is somewhat troubling, right? It makes no sense. Like the party is also hawkish towards China, but then doesn't seem to understand that China is now involved with Russia and Ukraine. Like they don't want to intervene in Ukraine. They don't want to send aid to Ukraine. But then China is also part of the problem, and they do want to be hawkish towards China. So they've they've put themselves into these logical pretzels that they've twisted their logic so far that I don't even understand anymore what, what, what the case is here, to be honest. Like, it's just exhausting. But back to what we're seeing now. I could rant all day about this stuff and the party's contradictory rhetoric, but it looks like the recent kidnapping of the four Americans has just made things worse. And now there are literally talks of using this authorization for the use of military force like what was done back in Iraq in 2001, with caveats, of course. And I'm just concerned this is something that we are going to regret in Mexico, and it won't be anything actually productive or helpful for the situation, even though it is a serious threat, the fentanyl crisis that we're seeing. I will get into the reasons why I think we're going to regret this in a minute, but I want to start, <laughs> start by talking about Comer's comments. And then we'll get into Dan Crenshaw and the others that are opposing this, I mean, proposing this AUMF. So Mark Esper, Trump's former Secretary of Defense, not a bad guy in my opinion, lobbyist, military industrial complex guy, but not the worst guy in the room for sure. He wrote a book last year, I think it was last year or something like that. And in the book he said, he talked about Trump literally thinking about bombing drug labs in Mexico. And now this is going to surprise you guys, but for some reason, the military didn't end up doing it. For some reason, they seem to oppose just unlawfully bombing labs in a sovereign country that's south of your border. But of course, Trump thought it was a good idea. Uh, another revelation from a book that reminds me I'm glad he's no longer our president. But James Comer said, hold my beer. James Comer of Kentucky, a MAGA Republican, who unfortunately is the top Republican on the Oversight Committee, said that he was actually sad that Trump decided not to bomb the drug labs during his time in office. Worrying to me that that's where we are, but yeah, that's, that's really lovely, isn't it? He, he thinks that was a bad idea that we didn't do it. He said here in quotes, one of the things we learned post-Trump presidency is that he had ordered a bombing of a, couple, of a couple of fentanyl labs, crystal meth labs in Mexico, just across the border. And for whatever reason, the military didn't do it. 
For whatever reason, Comer, <laughs> Comer, by the way, not the sharpest tool in the shed by any by any means, which is troubling to me of why he's on the oversight committee. But anyways, this is all insane because, again, like I said, this guy opposes giving aid to Ukraine, even called Ukraine one of our greatest adversaries, but then wants to do this. It makes my head hurt. But as we know, they did not bring their best and brightest to Congress during these midterm elections. So here we are. But back to the bombing Mexico thing. I'm sure that Comer is not the only one who would be on board with this. I really do think you could ask a lot of the America First MAGA types, and they'd be fine with this, even though they're isolationists, so, so they say. Now, while people like, people like Comer are talking about this crazy shit, the more normal Republicans, and I'm saying that with air quotes, have said that they have ideas that are more focused and maybe a more realistic version about something to do to Mexico. So Joe Perticone, in his bulwark column from yesterday, writes about how some Republicans are thinking about using authorization for the use of military force against specific cartels in Mexico. Perticone writes in the bulwark here, A pair of lawmakers are proposing an AUMF to target the cartels and put an end to the flow of fentanyl into the U.S. I spoke to the bill's authors, Mike Waltz of Florida and Dan Crenshaw of Texas. While their proposal initially might strike you as strike you at first as sounding like a launching Operation Desert Storm in America's number one foreign vacation spot, Crenshaw and Waltz offered a more tempered view of what an AUMF would actually entail. And then Perticone goes into basically talking about how this AUMF would allow Biden or whoever the U.S. president is at the time to use, in quotes, all necessary and appropriate force against nine cartels. And these nine cartels are, of course, the Sinaloa cartel, the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, the Gulf Cartel, the Gulf Cartel, the Los Zetas, the Northeast Cartel, the Juarez Cartel, the Tijuana Cartel, the Beltran Leva Cartel, and La, La Familia Michoacana, also known as the Knights Templar Cartel. A lot of nice groups, by the way. So I guess in theory, I'm fine if we did try to help the Mexican government take them out because Mexico is slowly becoming a narco state, whether you like it or not. But while it's normal to be concerned about this, I will just say that I think this is a bad idea, this AUMF. I just want to make that clear from the start. The reason I think it is so bad is because this would literally be a foreign country waging attacks on a non-governmental group inside of a different nation. So it's like multiple layers removed from being anything we should be doing. It's kind of like right now what Recep Erdogan in Turkey is doing, where he's waging a war against the Kurds in Syria and Iraq. It's convoluted, it can backfire, and it's probably illegal. And it would be different now if the Mexican government asked us to aid them. But I'll discuss later on why I think AMLO is being a pain in the ass about that. But it just seems like a very convoluted issue that will backfire. Now, getting back, I guess, to the, the main topic here is that Dan Crenshaw, one of the authors of this bill, was interviewed on Capitol Hill, and he said that, that this AUMF would be much more limited than what happened in 2001. He basically says that the bill would not provide some sort of free-for-all license to attack these organizations at the whim of an army commander near the border, or he said it wouldn't allow a captain of a tomahawk-equipped destroyer traversing the Gulf of Mexico. So it's not just like anyone has a pass to do this. 
He said here, it becomes just an authorization to actually create a strategy. He says here in quotes, we don't create the strategy, strategy necessarily. That's the president's job. So this is just the first step. I will also just say this before we continue is that this does sound more reasonable than something Cromer would probably put together. So I guess if anyone in the GOP is discussing this and is serious about this, it is better Crenshaw than Comer, who actually does kind of know what he's talking about. And then again, also, I mean, there are, there is the, the political reality of this, is that Crenshaw is a Texas congressman. Texas is being impacted a lot by these crises. And there probably is a demand back home for him to do something to address the fact that fentanyl is killing a lot of a lot of people you have a lot of illegal alien problems and also four texans were just kidnapped by a cartel so i think there are political realities to this as well now moving on the the model that they're discussing here in this bill is less like iraq and the chaos that happened there and it's much more like the u.s operated one in colombia when they helped the government fight the cartels in the 1980s 1990s and 2000s and during this time, the United States not only had a joint extradition treaty with Colombia, but it also put pressure on the Colombian government to do more. And to kind of keep it simple, the United States provided weapons and equipment as well as aid to those fighting the cartels. And I think the Washington Post probably does the best job here. Let, let me pull up this article real quick. The Washington Post, I think, brings it up well when it discusses how basically the justification for this, it all started with these Lend-Lease Acts, which followed World War II. And just as a refresher, the article notes here in quotes, starting under the Lend-Lease Act during World War II, U.S. military strategy focused on providing aid to anti-communist regimes throughout the world. However, during the 1990s, that policy combined with efforts to stop the flow of cocaine and heroin into the United States. So basically... They kind of transformed these Lend-Lease Acts, which were already established, into the war on drugs that we know of today. And Crenshaw has said that this worked because, in quotes, we had a strong partner in the Colombian government. He says the issue is that Mexico is not doing enough. He says that's what's been lacking in Mexico. And he thinks that by kind of doing this again in, in Mexico, it might force the Mexican government to do more. And I think he's being a bit too optimistic about what happened in Colombia. I don't think the war on drugs really did as much as he thinks, and I don't know if we want to use that same strategy in Mexico now. A lot of the weapons that the U.S. gave to Colombia actually helped fuel the civil war and intensified it, mainly because we helped arm different military groups. We always helped the ones that were more center or right-leaning against leftist Marxist groups. And now a lot of those weapons are still found on the streets. They're still being used in violent crime and in, in kind of these quasi-civil wars that still are erupting. The war on drugs didn't really end anything. Also, if you just look at Clinton's uh, Plan Colombia, it tried to balance security and counter narcotics operations along with social and economic development. But all it really did at the end of the day was just keep the U.S. involved in a violent civil war and a war on drugs that just destabilized the country. And I think the Washington Post has a really good quote here that I'll end this part on, is that it says, the unintended, although not surprising fact, was that because of U.S. policy, the security forces became more militarized and they brutalized Colombian people. And so I think Dan Crenshaw is being too optimistic when he thinks that we should follow the Colombia model in Mexico because while Colombia is way better, way better than it was 20 years ago, 
you kind of have to look in the mirror as, as a country and say, like, do we want to do this in another place again? You would think we would have learned by now. And now that we're all caught up, at least in what Crenshaw thinks we should do, he, he also says that we need to show Mexico that we're serious. He says here in quotes, and so in Mexico, I think you've got to leverage the Mexican government more. I think that's one of the reasons the AUMF is useful, because it lets them know we're serious. The problem with this Mexican president, AMLO, Andres Manuel López Obrador, is he doesn't apparently want to solve the problem. That's what Crenshaw said. And so this AUMF approach puts pressure on López López Obrador to act in hopes of something more like a Colombian-style collaboration with the United States. Now, I'm also worried, though, about how hawkish people would be. This is because the other author of the bill, Mike Waltz, is more radical. He isn't sugarcoating it like Crenshaw. Because, like I said, if anyone's going to make a bill like this, I don't think Crenshaw is particularly the worst person here. But Waltz has said, in quotes, We have essentially an ungoverned narco-terrorist state directly on our border, and I would posture that if ISIS or Al-Qaeda sent chemical weapons that killed 80,000 Americans, we would probably be thinking about it and doing something about it. So this is an interesting justification that actually does kind of trouble me, is that Waltz is kind of drawing similarities between what we would do if a terrorist state was killing Americans, like what happened after 9-11, and he's saying we should act if a place is killing 80,000 Americans. Now, look, fentanyl is a serious issue, and we need to do something about it. It's a full blown crisis addiction tragedy but doing a repeat on the war on drugs and authorizing the president to have strong power in this case maybe biden will be measured but what if trump becomes president in two years just a just a thought experiment and joe perticone does note like because there are some things i should kind of clarify too is crenshaw and waltz have said that the bill would sunset after five years unless Congress renews it. We have to remember that the Iraq Wars AUMF of uh, 2001 had no such limitation, and actually it's still in effect, which is insane. This would sunset it, which is important. And Lindsey Graham has also uh, said he supports this, of course. He's quite a hawk. He's pretty consistently a hawk, I will say. And he, is clar- he has clarified and said, we will make sure this is not an open season for us to invade Mexico. And he is right on this. I, I do agree with Lindsey Graham on this because he, Biden will be the one, or the president, will be the one who makes these decisions. And so I guess in a, in a way it's somewhat limited. Before we're out of here, though, I do want to talk about how Mexico is handling this. And knowing how U.S. policies in Colombia have backfired... I guess you could say it's understandable that AMLO is not really thrilled about this. And again, I am an anti-AMLO guy. I am not a fan of him. But in this case, I don't really disagree with him. The bulwark notes here in quotes, Mexican President López Obrador said in a press conference Thursday he would launch a public relations campaign urging Americans to vote against Republicans if bills like Crenshaw and Waltz's advance. And uh, Joe Perticone continues, it's easy to understand his alarm. For all the qualifications the congressman offered, their bill exists to authorize the use of military force on a sovereign, undisputed Mexican territory. And obviously this is different in a sense, but again, what happens if Trump became president again or someone like him? 
Biden right now is measured, but we know how hawkish Trump is towards the southern border. I mean, and also we know what Trump wanted to do the first time. And so the thing is, is that if you have like Kash Patel and Steve Bannon inside the administration, what do you think they would try to do? Like, that's the thing is like, you're not thinking about the moment, you're thinking about the future with these AUMFs. And that's what worries me here. And at, at this point, if we want to be hostile towards a sovereign territory below us, in a sense, we're almost doing exactly what Putin is doing in Ukraine. Obviously, it's not a perfect comparison, but you can't just do these things in sovereign territories, no matter how they're justified. That's just not how things should work in this current era. And I, of course, think we need to pressure the Mexican government. We need to have stronger policies, but none of this makes sense to me whatsoever. And getting back to Mexico, of course, AMLO, like I said, awful politician, dangerous to Mexico. He's got rid of their independence in elections. And then, of course, again, he's blaming the United States for the fentanyl issue as well. The Washington Post has a good point here. It says here in quotes, he cast this issue as an American problem and claimed that his country does not produce the substance, which is responsible for the majority of U.S. drug overdose deaths. However, the article continues, U.S. law enforcement officials have said fentanyl is mass produced by Mexican drug cartels and then distributed by American criminal networks, end quotes. Now, this is the stuff that is unproductive if we're trying to create any solutions. AMLO, of course, is rightfully pissed off about this. But then at the same time, like he's blaming us and pointing fingers and being unproductive and a bad politician. And I should note that U.S. officials have said that Mexico surpassed China as the top producer of U.S.-bound fentanyl in 2019. I fear that if AMLO continues to be incompetent, public opinion could change in the U.S. and not in a good way. I actually worry that if things get worse, both Republicans and the Biden administration may actually agree on doing something more, more aggressive, I guess you could say. And history tells me that both sides are fine with wars on drugs and getting involved in Latin America. And then you hear what Trump wants to do. So it's not a good situation. I think we need to take some deep breaths and step back here. But then also we do need to find diplomatic solutions to deal with Mexico because it's becoming a narco terrorist state in a lot of a lot of ways so anyways i hope you guys have a great weekend you can find me on apple podcasts itunes spotify podbean you know the rest i'll be back on monday stay safe enjoy the sun enjoy yourselves and uh we'll be back next week and if you're in any of the places in california struggling with weather stay warm and stay safe